You're tuned to WFHB. Volunteer-powered, listener-supported, Community Radio for South Central Indiana. Good afternoon. Reporting remotely for WFHB, this is Don Guerra. And I'm Nikki Stewart-Ingersoll. This is the WFHB Local News for Monday, January 17, 2022. Later in the program, Monroe County has officially moved to the red advisory category in the state's color-coded COVID-19 map. More in today's feature report. Also, coming up in the next half hour, we have some prison-related headlines from the producers of KiteLine. More in the second half of our program. But first, your daily headlines. At the Bloomington City Council meeting on January 12th, council members Susan Sandberg, Sue Zgamberluri, and Jim Sims presented a resolution that would consolidate the number of standing committees. They proposed that the administration, community affairs, housing, public safety, climate action and resilience, sustainable development and land use committees be eliminated. President of the Council, Susan Sandberg, presented the resolution. In bringing forward Resolution 2202, the sponsors recognized the critical importance of examining our legislative process and working toward improvements in how we craft legislation, engage the public, deliberate, manage our time, and communicate both internally and externally. The standing committee structure that was initiated at the beginning of this term was introduced and passed in good faith, and the last 22 months have provided opportunities to use these standing committees and assess their impact on the work of the council. It is our belief that as we begin this new year, we have an obligation to acknowledge several key limitations of standing committees and to refine our work processes accordingly. Specifically, it is the sponsor's belief that a return to using Committee of the Whole would allow us to accomplish the following. Allow all nine council members to participate in discussions on legislative in real time and thus provide a more equitable, inclusive opportunity for dialogue. Aid in reducing confusion that results particularly among the public when multiple bodies all have a potential role in addressing a topic or piece of legislation. An example that we bring forward are the following six entities that could be involved in matters related to public safety, the Council Public Safety Committee, the Board of Public Safety, our newly formed CAPS Commission, Future Policing Working Group, and the Dispatch Policy Board and PSLIP. To reduce the number of meetings in which staff or legislative sponsors would need to offer duplicate presentations and to streamline scheduling and simplify staffing demands. It is also the sponsor's belief that special committees can and should be formed as needed to study pressing issues, undertake specific tasks, initiate legislation or otherwise advance the work of council on behalf of Bloomington residents. Councilmember Suze Gambaluri explained that she believes eliminating the standing committees would make it easier for the public to understand what is going on in the government. 
Councilmember Jim Sims explained from his previous position as president of the council that he saw a need to reduce the number of standing committees in exchange for a committee of the whole meetings. As many of you know, I was the uh, immediate past president and of this council um, for last year. And one of the things that um, I observed and was pretty clear about is that a majority of the council members would prefer to use the committee of the whole um, for full council discussions on legislations. Council members Steve Voland and Isabel Piedmont-Smith expressed their dissent with the resolution. Councilmember Matt Flaherty advocated for certain standing committees to be continued. Flaherty introduced an amendment to the resolution. The amendment is pretty simple. It uh, strikes whereas clauses and language in the um, sections of the resolution that would abolish the administration, climate action and resilience, and land use committees. In short, the uh, intent and purpose is to retain those committees as, as standing committees in their existing form. Um, this amendment seeks a middle ground, I think, and a compromise among diverse views on the council by leaving a few standing committees in place uh, for reasons that are specific to their focus area, which I'll explain. So one thing standing committees can do is handle legislation that is pending before a legislative body. This is how most cities our size in Indiana conduct business, and it's how Bloomington has conducted business in the more distant past. That's not the current preference of a five-member majority of this council, and that, of course, is also totally fine. In expressing my interest for the council presidency last week, I spoke about a need for us to accept and embrace these diverse views and, and work on finding middle ground. Even if a majority of this body generally doesn't prefer to hear legislation in committees, there are, I think, certain use cases for standing committees that are still compelling. Some of those are contemplated by the resolution sponsors, including the use of interview committees, the Jack Hopkins Social Services Committee, and a sidewalk committee. These committees all have some kind of proactive work to do other than handling legislation under consideration. So too, the Administration Committee and the Climate Action and Resilience Committee, which this amendment seeks to retain. With the Administration Committee, I believe many or most council members uh, share my view that we have work to do on process reform. Changes to Title II based on changes in practice over time or ambiguities, uh, potential uh, work with the mayoral administration on reform to boards, reform to boards and commissions based on the forthcoming Novak report uh, that has studied them. Uh, our budget process has been uh, under much consideration uh, with most members over the last few years, and there's many more examples. Uh, these will continue into the future. They are not uh, discrete or standalone issues. Um, and while the council could have, would, of course, ultimately approve any changes as a full body, having a designated group whose job it is to work on these proactive items uh, is helpful. Flaherty said that the Climate Action and Resilience Committee was responsible for long-term projects that the City Council staff does not have the time to invest in. Next, there's the Climate Action and Resilience Committee, which similarly has proactive work to do with the Sustainability Action Plan and Climate Action Plans of the City. The CAP, in particular, has many legislative items that will require proactive work to develop the legislation with collaboration between the Council and the Economic and Sustainable Development staff. Indeed, ESD staff proposed, and we have already scheduled a series of quarterly meetings this year with the Climate Action and Resilience Committee to work on the legislative items in uh, the Climate Action Plan. A standing committee is the perfect structure to work on these items. 
because this work will take place over the next seven plus years and beyond as the cap is updated in the future. We are in a climate crisis as the headlines and climate disasters around the country and world demonstrate on a weekly basis. And in my view, now is not the time to decrease our focus on climate change matters. During public comment, President of the Monroe County Chapter of the National Organization for Women, Natalia Galvin, advocated for the Public Land and Action and Resilience Committees. I'm here today in support of Amendment 1 to save the Climate Action and Land Use Committees. As Golden Bicycle and a standing room of Bloomington residents, old and young, stated at the 2019 sit-in, we are in a climate emergency. Bloomington has seen this firsthand, especially with the deadly floods just this past summer. I used Department of Earth and Atmospheric Sciences describe last summer's deadly floods as the third most intense on record and the largest in over 100 years, and that regional trends over the last century show an increase in extreme rainfall like this event, which is consistent with fundamental atmospheric science theories and climate model simulations of ongoing and future climate change. As a volunteer in statewide and district political affairs, I have seen firsthand that our state policies and state ruling majority are doing us no favors in further protection. Because we are in a climate emergency, I am advocating that climate action and land use remain a standing committee. I do not think that climate change is a specialty issue. Climate resilience would indeed be diminished when it is removed from being recognized with a written importance as a standing committee, like with Jack Hopkins. This weekend, I did the math on all the 2021 Committee of the Whole and regular council meetings. The average is three hours and one minute. Minus the record-setting meeting, the average is still two hours and 52 minutes. Without climate action and land use being recognized as a standing committee, does that mean that each year it is at the discretion of the council president whether or not climate change will be a priority? That is an unacceptable step backwards for our city. Bloomington is one of the top 10 cities population-wise in Indiana. I either looked on the website or called the clerk of the nine cities to ask what their policy was on standing committees. Indianapolis, Fort Wayne, Evansville, South Bend, Carmel, Fishers, Hammond, Lafayette, and Noblesville all use standing committees on issues that are important to them. Finally, I leave the council with this. I learned a lot from council meetings. I learned about microtransit. I started using Earth Keepers and joined the city's leaf composting pilot because of Councilman Rollo's strong advocacy for composting during the 2021 budget week. We need to dive further into issues like this that intersect with climate action and look at the real social, economic, and racial justice issues that stem from climate change. We cannot take any backward steps on climate action, and this amendment supports that. Thank you. The, the council will continue the discussion on the resolution surrounding standing committees at the next meeting on January 19th. On January 13th at the Monroe County Board of Health meeting, board member Carol Talukian was nominated for chair of the board and Stephen Pritchard was nominated as the vice chair. Public Health Clinic Manager Amy Meek updated the board on their COVID-19 vaccine efforts. We're still mostly focused on COVID vaccines. We still have a clinic going every single day at, the, at your drive. Uh, we've been doing Saturdays. Uh, we are going down to two Saturdays a month starting this month. But on top of those two Saturdays a month, though, we are adding a mass clinic. So on January 29th, we'll be doing a clinic at Bloomington High School South for those 12 and older. So those kids can get their boosters at that clinic if they like. We'll have 600 appointments that morning. Uh, we are still planning to go around to all the fifth grade classrooms like we normally do in the spring and get all those catch-up vaccines. 
Uh, we imagine some kids probably fell a little bit extra behind these last two years, the pandemic. And just one more note that I forgot with the COVID vaccines on our ages five to 11. So since November, we've given um, 1,534 vaccines to just that age group of five to 11. So we've had a pretty good uptake of that. Talukian asked Indiana University Vice Provost of External Relations Kirk White and Health Department Administrator Penny Caudill if they thought current COVID-19 cases were being underreported. Caudill responded, saying she agrees that COVID-19 is being underreported. There's a lot of underreporting because home tests are not reported, right? Right. Um, and so, and if you can't get tested and you just have to stay home and isolate, then that's not going to be reported. So certainly there is a fair amount with this level of transmission. There's no way you're going to have enough testing available and testing times are increased because of the volume, you know, labs are working 24 seven and still, you know, it's hard to keep up. So that definitely um, will impact the reporting. So yeah, it, I think always, all along, you know, your testing numbers are always, the actual number is always higher than what's reported because they're going to be people that um, didn't get tested, stayed home, what have you. Board member Ashley Craner clarified that there is not a way for at-home tests to be reported and asked if it would be best practice for individuals who do get a positive result to get tested at a testing center. Okay, so with home tests, then I think, you know, we would advise best practice for the community is that if they do get a positive test is to go to a testing center and get that uh, get a PCR, yeah. Right. Yeah. Okay. So I think that that's important um, because, you know, I have a, I, I'm, I'm aware of so, a few people that have gotten the positives and they just stay home. So I think that, you know, um, this is helpful for the community and those that are watching and listening that, you know, if you do an at-home testing kit, then do go to a testing site and get that confirmed. The next Monroe County Board of Health meeting will be held on February 10th. Up next, we have some recent prison-related news and announcements from the producers of KiteLine, our public affairs program devoted to prison issues in the Midwest and beyond. KiteLine airs each Friday at 5.30 p.m. on WFHB. The program is available online at wfhb.org or wherever you get your podcasts. Two hundred detainees on Rikers Island have begun a hunger strike in protest of the horrid conditions and the lack of basic services in the jail, drawing attention to the long-standing issues within the troubled city jail system. Chris Boyle, the director of data research and policy with the New York County Defender Services, explained the situation at a city board of corrections meeting last Tuesday. As the protest went on, Boyle said, an officer asked the detainees, quote, do you want food? Because we're not going to bring it if you don't want it. They said, no, we don't want it, and he walked out, so no food is being brought in right now, unquote. 
In voicemails to the Daily News, detainees described their reasons for the strike. Detainee Irvin Bowens said, quote, This is very important. Right now, my unit, we're on a hunger strike. We have a list of reasonable things that we would like to get on the table so that we can get things rolling, such as a law library, recreation and mental health and medical and stuff like that. We're just asking for a little help, unquote. Another detainee explained that inmates aren't receiving mail, any rec time outside, or medical services. He said, quote, This continues to linger months and months on end. We are currently on 24-7 lockdown, and we've been isolated for 15 days and counting. Court dates and hearings are constantly being adjourned, motions and bail hearings as well. We are not receiving communications in a timely fashion as well. We're basically here, stuck in limbo. The city is still open for business, but Rikers Island is closed. We are not getting any visits or lawyer visits, which has continued to hinder our due process as well, unquote. Boyle himself has received voicemails from 15 detainees. He said, quote, they are at a point where they feel they have no other options. As of last night, they had missed their 12th meal and no one seems to care, unquote. Advocates for inmates at the Bedford Hills Correctional Facility are calling for Governor Kathy Hochul to step in as COVID-19 spreads quickly among inmates and employees. Serena Martin-Ligori, the executive director for New Hour for Women and Children, says the number of cases among inmates is close to 70. She's asking Governor Hochul to grant clemency for some of the women to reduce the prison population. The State Department of Corrections and Community Supervision website outlines their COVID-19 protocol. Quote, our process identifies patients who are ill and require special monitoring and care and isolates those who create the greatest risk of transmission to others. Asymptomatic patients who wear a mask and follow social distancing and hand hygiene guidelines have minimal risk to others. A nurse will swab the individual, and that swab is then sent to an authorized lab. Unquote. Martin Langori says that while those efforts are appreciated, immediate action from Hochul could make the difference between life and death. Monroe County has moved to the red advisory category on the state's color-coded map. The red advisory means that a county has a seven-day positivity rate of 15% or higher, and that weekly cases range from 200 or more cases per 100,000 residents. Bloomington Mayor John Hamilton said weekly cases for city employees were at an all-time high during Friday's local COVID-19 press conference. Just my quick city stats, uh, we actually this week, just yesterday, reported 20 employees with a positive case. That's the highest one week total ever. That brings our month to 34 already, uh, highest month. Uh, so we're definitely seeing uh, real rises in, in cases in our, own, in our own workforce. We are going to continue our efforts to ensure our employees are vaccinated or tested Monroe County Health Administrator Penny Cottle provided a breakdown of the latest COVID-19 numbers during the press conference on Friday. I will start with news I don't think is new to anybody, and that's that the county advisory is red this week. Our current rolling daily average is rising every day. It's now over 300 per day, the highest number that we've seen so far. This week, we topped 1,000 cases per 100,000 residents and a positivity rate over 19%. Uh, with this amount of transmission, testing sites are understandably overwhelmed. 
uh, turnaround time is increasing for those test results. So again, patience um, is desperately needed, even though it is a very frustrating time if you're looking for testing or waiting for your results. In terms of the Indiana Department of Health and Gravity testing site, they have put in efficiencies seems to be moving much more smoothly now that they're using the QR code system once you're in line, those kinds of things. But they have too had to close early a couple of days this week just because of volume. That by two o'clock they had to stop the line so that they could make sure that they saw all of those people um, who were already in line. So in other words, come two o'clock, they had more people in line than they could see for the rest of the day. Yesterday, they did also close early, but that was more of a staffing issue as um, you know, we know that businesses uh, with this level of transmission, staffing is hard in every arena. We are continuing to request mobile units from the state, and they have put a couple of extra units in circulation. So we are waiting on confirmation on one upcoming, and we will share that as soon as we have confirmation about that clinic. The Indianapolis Motor Speedway has been extended through the 22nd of this month, and the state has added some specific walk-in hours for those clinics. Cottle also gave advice on mask-wearing etiquette saying that a mask is only as helpful as one wears it. Improve your mask, improve your mask wearing. Remember that the best mask is only as good as how you wear it. So if it's on your chin, it won't matter that it's an N95 if it's not worn completely, correctly. Limit your time around to others in crowded places, especially indoors. Stay home if you're sick. Follow guidance in terms of isolation and quarantine if you're exposed. She explained that as the Omicron variant hits Monroe County, breakthrough infections, meaning positive COVID-19 cases among people who are vaccinated, are on the rise. However, she said cases were less severe and less likely to require hospitalization compared to someone who has not yet received the vaccine. So cases um, have been in fully vaccinated individuals, we talked about breakthrough cases, have increased significantly over the past month. Hospitalizations and death remain much lower than, than in those who are unvaccinated. In fact, breakthrough infections, while they do occur, uh, are only 3.7% of the people who are fully vaccinated are experiencing breakthrough infection. And of those people who do get infected, less than 1% is requiring hospitalization and more serious disease care. Cottle touched on new guidance from Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, particularly on the shorter isolation duration. The other thing that I wanted to mention today is that we've received some questions about the new CDC guidance and protocols for the five days um, that that lesser restriction in schools and businesses. So that while these new guidelines do reduce the isolation and quarantine time, it does not mean that schools or a business must implement that shorter time frame. certainly not right away. Many are choosing to wait and not move to the shorter times just yet, and that's okay. And I mention this because 
We all need to be aware that you might get clearance from your provider that's based on new guidance, but it may not yet be approved by your workplace or your school. So just wanted to bring that up since we've been getting questions about that. And if you are looking for a vaccine or a test and you're having trouble finding one in Monroe County or wherever you might live, I would say broaden your search, look for counties around you. Uh, not, not every clinic, not every county is experiencing the high demand uh, for testing and vaccine that we are. So feel free to expand that if you have the means to go elsewhere. President of IU Health's South Central Region, Brian Shockney, said that COVID-19 hospitalizations were down last week, despite record highs in positivity. On the other hand, this does not mean hospitalizations aren't an area of prime concern, says Shockney. As Penny shared, our number of overall cases in the greater community is the highest we've seen pandemic to date. Yet we are fortunate to see a slight decline in here in the South Central region in our inpatient numbers this last week. Our inpatient census still remains at its highest. Part of this is due to incredibly ill patients who they're in the hospital for long enough, but they no longer are considered active COVID based on quarantine guidelines. So we either move them or they're taken out of that COVID-19 status, and, but they still re require that inpatient care. Across the IU Health system, we are experiencing the largest COVID-19 inpatient census that we've seen since the beginning of the pandemic with an alarming increase of new admissions, as you can see on the screen. As our weekly infographic continues to show, this remains a fight of the unvaccinated, as here in the South Central region, our COVID-19 inpatients are comprised of 80% of unvaccinated individuals and 90% of those in critical care or on a ventilator are unvaccinated. Nearly two years into this pandemic, IU Health as a system, we are on track to experience a record amount of COVID-19 inpatient deaths this month and quite possibly the same as a state. As a state, over 19,319 individuals have passed away, which is 94% of those deaths that were individuals who were not fully vaccinated. Indiana hospitals have had over 108,782 individuals last checked on the website requiring hospitalization due to COVID since the pandemic began. Non-vaccinated individuals make up about 98% of those that have been hospitalized. And we're seeing that here in the South Central region. Shockney says another issue of concern includes hospital workers who are currently in quarantine after testing positive for the virus. Another concern across our system and region, as with many industries and businesses right now, are the alarming amount of our team members currently in quarantine. Uh, due to COVID or COVID symptoms. Uh, it was 94 on the infographic in the South Central region on Thursday, uh, but today it's again over 100 team members has continued to average over 100 team members for the past couple of weeks. So this large number of team members who aren't able to work make it even more challenging for us to care for the record number of patients. We are very thankful to our support team members who are picking up extra shifts, many working in areas they typically have never worked to help staffing levels and care for our patients and facilities. So please help our teams during this time by getting vaccinated, getting boosted, wearing masks, 
social distancing, quarantining when sick, and practicing good hand hygiene. Chief Health Officer at Indiana University, Dr. Aaron Carroll, gave updates on our use policies after making the decision to return to in-person classes. Well, as everyone has been saying, and I'm not going to belabor the point too much, this is a surge. Um, this is about as bad as we've seen it in terms of numbers, and I, I'd say that we're experiencing uh, a similar situation at IU, where the numbers are higher than we have seen before. Um, having said that, uh, they're about, well, in fact, they're probably a little bit lower than I, I think I might have even expected this week. Um, we are encouraging vaccination and booster, which is the best thing we can do, as many of others have said, in order to uh, you know, keep people both from getting ill and keeping this as contained as possible. Uh, we have drop-off testing on top of our symptomatic testing, on top of our voluntary testing, on top of our COVID check testing. And so there's just an enormous capacity to uh, make sure that those who get tests um, can get them. We are uh, revised, we've revised our quarantine and isolation guidelines to, to more closely match those of the CDC. We are op, you know, optimizing all of our procedures to keep all that going. We have asked faculty not even to mask, unmask while they're lecturing to keep our classrooms as safe as possible. And as we've seen throughout the pandemic, our classrooms tend to be some of the safest places that we have on campus with very, 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 very few uh, documented transmissions that take place there. All of which is to say that we're doing our best to be as safe as possible while this surge is still going on. Um, we're optimistic that hopefully, as it is in many other places, this surge will start to uh, decrease in the next, hopefully, week or two. Um, but regardless, we will keep all of our safety measures in place and everything else that we're doing to, to try to keep Indiana safe, or keep IU as safe as possible, which we hope also keeps Bloomington and Indiana as safe as possible. To schedule an appointment for a vaccine or a booster shot, please visit ourshot.in.gov. For more information on testing sites, visit coronavirus.in.gov. 